Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to work our way through verses 1 through 21, and the major theme of our Bible study this morning is going to be the idea of keeping our eyes on the prize. There's a lot of things that um, kind of vie for our attention in life that are constantly making noise and trying to get us to look this way and that way. But as Christians, we are going to keep our focus on Christ and Christ alone. And part of the, one of the helpful things that comes from that is oftentimes we realize in many areas of life that we simply aren't good enough. And what's uh, so powerful about the Christian life is the realization that with Christ, we don't need to be good enough. We have the righteousness of Christ. So because of that, we keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, which basically means that the goal of our life is to know and to walk with the Lord. So other than Christ himself, you know, there, there is really no one who's quite as impressive, if I could put it that way, as far as a resume goes, than maybe the Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the first century. Um, he will see a lot of his quote-unquote credentials that are listed in chapter 3, and he's not doing this to promote himself. He's simply speaking these things out to make the point that even with this impressive uh, amount of credentials, that he still isn't good enough, right? That that even those good works aren't going to uh, give him any status or uh, position before God. All of it must be through the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, that we ought to not put our, any of our own confidence in our righteousness. So verse 1 kind of serves as a transitional verse, and it moves us into the next major section. The word finally or further is often used as a transition in the Bible. Just keep that in mind. So Paul begins this section with a reminder for us to rejoice in the Lord, but we have to ask ourselves, why are we rejoicing in the Lord? Of course, as we've talked about before, um, rejoicing and joy are as a major theme of the letter to the Philippians. But Paul understood that when believers rejoice in the Lord, it safeguards something, and it safeguards our faith. You see, joy is the natural byproduct of our personal relationship with Jesus. So knowing this and keeping this um, joy as a form of repetition in our lives is also a helpful way for us to learn. So Paul was obviously considering a review of the essentials helpful and necessary for young believers and really all believers alike. Let joy be one of the things that is on the forefront of our lips. Then Paul moves quickly and he warns the Philippian believers three times. And he warns them to watch out for those that would put their confidence in their own works and not in Jesus Christ. That is one of the biggest roadblocks and pitfalls of the Christian life is to begin to think that we're something, that we're somebody, that because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, that we're seeing the sanctification and the sanctified life and the holy life that God is trying to produce in us to suddenly think, well, hey, I'm big time. I'm something special. Paul's warning against that. He warns against that three times. See, because Paul knows that this form of false self-righteousness Because he experienced it and he practiced it himself prior to his conversion. He also experienced it in his missionary journeys from those that were trying to harm what he was trying to do for the Lord. So in verse 2, the apostle warns the Philippians to beware of what he calls dogs. Now that seems like a pretty derogatory term, and it really is. In fact, it was a term that was used by the Jews to describe the Gentiles. Here, the terms applied to the Judaizers of the first century. It's kind of ironic that this is um, almost a... What's the word I want to use? Uh, A very negative remark, I'll put it that way, that the Jews would throw at the Gentiles, calling them dogs. And now Paul is flipping the script and calling the Judaizers, who are the people that are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ um, and try to move people back to to law and legalism. Um, And he's using that term there, saying beware of them. 
Scholars describe the ways in which these Judaizers would prowl around Christian congregations. They're trying to pick them off one by one to take these Gentile converts and, and then convert them to Judaism. And Paul knows this strategy. He knows how fervent they are in their effort. So he warns the Philippians to beware. And maybe a little bit different than what we're, we deal with in, in this culture, but it's, it's very similar in that the culture itself is trying to pick Christians off one by one. Right to try to pervert the gospel of Christ to get us to believe something else and try to move us and sway us. So we are also need to be need to beware. The term ne- means to constantly observe with intent of avoiding to see the danger that lurks ahead and then to avoid it completely. What these Judaizers did was evil and it was a work against the gospel. And the final term that Paul uses regarding this is a term he's, he calls it a false circumcision or those who mutilate the flesh. Pretty strong language here. So in their deception, they are accepting and requiring circumcision as a means of justification. And this requires a little bit of knowledge, even going back into the Old Testament of how Old Testament law and customs, how how things operated, what was required of the people of God to kind of make sense as you get to this idea of mutilating the flesh. But essentially what Paul is saying is they're trying to force you to do these works so that you can obtain the favor of God. And that is the opposite of the message of Christ and the message of the gospel. So instead, Paul says in verse 3 that the apostle boldly affirms that he and the Philippians were the true circumcision. And this is a circumcision of the Spirit, meaning that God, it is God and His righteousness that makes us worthy and gives us uh, standing before God. And And it's, we have no confidence in our flesh because we are glorified only in Jesus Christ. So even as Paul condemns those who trusted in the flesh for salvation, he knew his list of credentials surpassed them all, right? Again, he's not boasting. He's just saying, you're following these people, but look at my big resume. And even in all of those things, Paul refuses to boast on himself and his own righteousness. Among the Judaizers, whether or not a man had been circumcised was a key issue, but Paul could not boast that he was circumcised. But that, or on the eighth day, he kind of talks through this. And as I said earlier, this was kind of a legal custom. Instead, Paul, Paul chooses to boast on something completely different. Paul's credentials included the fact not only that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he was not only just a Jew, but he was a well-learned, well-trained. Um, he had been groomed for the job of being the, the supreme uh, Judaizer, right? But the apostle was not only a son of Hebrew parents, he was also an avid student of Hebrew culture and Hebrew language. The Pharisees were considered to be the strictest sect among the Jews, and Paul was a devout Pharisee, like I said earlier. And then finally, when we get to, um, as far as the Mosaic law was was called, he was blameless and he had nothing to be ashamed of. So you might think to yourself, well, he's got all the boxes ticked. He's got all of his T's crossed, his I's dotted, everything's good. But in spite of all these reasons he had for boasting, Paul considered all of these gains as loss and a false basis for spiritual confidence. You and I are going to intersect with people constantly who will genuinely believe that their good works are good enough. And they may say say things like, well, I hope the good outweighs the bad. I hope when I get to heaven that that I'll I'll be allowed to get in because of the good things that I've done. It's not about the works. It's about whose family you're in. And I mentioned this a while back in Ephesians, but either we are the children of wrath or we're the children of, of God's love. And it isn't because we did good works to get there. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's the point that Paul's trying to make here in Philippians chapter 3, is it isn't going to be about your works. It isn't going to be about your righteousness. It's going to be about whose family are you? Are you in God's family? Are you adopted into God's family? Have you come by faith believing in what Jesus Christ has done for you in repentance and faith and trusted him completely and fully? Well, that puts us and adopts us into God's family. So Paul says all this other stuff is nonsense. It's useless. It's, it's unimportant. It's unimportant. 
It's of no value because it doesn't give us relationship with God. So let's not put our confidence in our righteousness or our good works. Let, let us not get good feelings because we think we're good people, but realize that we serve a good Savior who has empowered us by the Holy Spirit to live and follow him. So what do we do from this? So we, we have this understanding that our righteousness is in Christ. Now, where do we go from there? Well, the instruction here in verse 8 through 14 is that we press on. We keep going forward. You see, if, if I rely on my good works, when I stop, when I fail to do good works, then I will become discouraged and I will fall away. But if my faith is in the Christ of the good works, regardless of where I stumble, where I fall, I can continue to press on because my focus, my goal, my, my, my reference point has not changed. Now we can know Christ deeply and experience everything that God has for us. So Paul's continued emphasis is that Christ is worth pursuing. In contrast to those that put right, the confidence in their own righteous acts, so in verse 8, he states again that nothing really mattered to him other than knowing and walking with Christ. So knowing Christ has surpassed everything that he previously placed value in. He uses the words here, uh, the loss of all things. What does it mean to be the loss of all things? Well, when Paul followed Christ, he, he experienced the loss of all things. His status, he experienced the loss of his, probably a lot of his earthly possessions, of a lot of his family and relationship connections. When Paul followed Christ, he knew what it was like to experience loss. But he still can, compares the value of his relationship with the God of heaven as the most meaningful thing. And the rest of it was just worthless, unclean rubbish or dung, as he uses the phrase there in chapter 3. So Paul's desire, as he explains and expresses in verse 9, was to possess the righteousness that came only through faith in Christ and his finished work. You know, this righteousness can't be earned or achieved by good works or adherence to the law. The law doesn't serve as a means to be... Um, completed. Only Christ could do that. The law serves as a means to show us our own shortcomings and failures. So from the point of his conversion, Paul had one great passion, to fully and finally know Christ. So as he's involved in this pursuit, he's experiencing the power of Christ's resurrection in his life and service and participating in the same suffering that Christ did. The word know that he uses in this verse really means to experience. So by knowing Christ, he's experiencing what Christ experienced. Think about that. When we say, I want to know Christ, that means I want to experience what Jesus experienced. And you might think, well, I don't want to be crucified or anything like that. Neither do I. But knowing Christ and experiencing what he experienced also means experiencing the power that Christ experienced, the Holy Spirit enabling, the love of the Father, all of these, this new life that we find in Christ, that even if we do have and we will have suffering and affliction, we can persevere through it because we are pursuing Jesus. This kind of identification with Christ involves death to self and death to sin. So all of this is forward-looking. Think about that for a second. The Christian life is a forward-looking life. The Christian life is not a backwards-looking life. So we can obsess and we can constantly be immersed in our past, but the call that we are made is to press toward the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. And that is a forward-looking life. What is everything that God has in store for me in the future? So Paul doesn't claim to have arrived at his goal. He had not been perfect. Instead, he was still in pursuit. And you and I are always constantly in pursuit. As long as we have breath and life in this side of heaven, we are constantly in pursuit of what it means to experience and to know Jesus. Even from the very beginning of the Damascus Road, Christ had taken a hold of Paul. He had made Paul his own, an experience that the apostles said he would never get over. And I think that's the testimony of each of us that are listening, that we never want to get over the time that Christ took hold of us 
and gave us the gift of salvation. So verse 13 and 14 use the example of a runner in a race. And this was a common illustration for Paul, this idea of spiritual drive. Athletics were a big thing in the culture of of the Greeks and the Romans. So he's using this example of a runner. Forgetting carries the idea of continually putting the past out of mind, but focusing only on the goal ahead. You see, Paul didn't lay anything in the past, or he didn't let anything in the past keep him from fully pursuing his goal. He compared himself to a runner who stretches forward or strains as he approaches the finish line. And here's one thing's for sure. Paul relentlessly pursued that goal. I think everything about the testimony of Paul that we read in Acts, that we read about in these letters, is that he relentlessly pursues. He's a, he's, he's, he's a powerful picture of what it means to live the forward-looking life. And like a runner, he saw nothing but the finish line before him, and his mind was fixed on the prize that the judge would award him when he, called the, when he was called to the judge's stand. This testimony from a man who had been a believer for about 30 years at the time of writing this letter reminds the believers that there must never be a time in which we stop pursuing spiritual growth. So let us make knowing Christ our highest priority. So we understand that by Christ's righteousness, we are made perfect. We understand that we can never stop pursuing and pressing towards the goal of knowing and experiencing Christ. And then finally, what's the prize? The prize is knowing and looking forward to Christ's return. So Paul encourages mature readers to share the same attitude that he's just outlined. The Word of God has outlined for us what the mature attitude of a Christian looks like. The attitude of people who realize that we have not yet arrived. These people continue to press on like a runner, to reach the goal of knowing Christ and becoming more like him. So Paul trusted that the Holy Spirit would make the need for this clear to anybody who disagreed. If somebody said, no, Paul, you're wrong, he says, I'm trusting the Spirit of God to open their eyes and give them understanding. He wants all believers to live up to and and according to the standard of righteousness that they had attained through Jesus Christ. So in verse 17, Paul told the Philippian believers to follow his example and to imitate him. Now, you might say, well, why should I imitate or follow after Paul? He's not perfect. Paul knows he's not perfect. He's already described that to us. He was seeking to know and follow Christ with all that was in him. So Paul says, as I follow Christ, follow me. In verse 18, 19, the apostle warned against some who did not share such devotion to the Lord. And he urges his readers to take special note of all who walked according to the example that he had set. In contrast, so he lays a little bit of a, of, of a contrast here says that they are enemies of the cross of Christ that by their false teaching and influence disrupt the work and lead immature believers astray. Remember what we just said earlier that there's a mature believing mindset that Paul has outlined here. Now he is giving warning to the immature. According to Paul, their destination is eternal ruin. They really worship themselves and the things that satisfy their physical desires and they glorify in shameful works. In essence, their minds and their way of life are fixed on worldly things. So Paul reminded his audience that believers' ultimate citizenship is in heaven. Believers eagerly await the return of the Lord and the glorified bodies like Christ's that we will receive. And at his return, we will fully know Christ and be made like him. So I hope this has been helpful to you as we've walked through this idea that you and I will never be good enough. But we don't have to be good enough because Jesus Christ is perfect. And we pursue relentlessly without looking back we look forward pressing towards that mark of the calling that we have been um, called by which is knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ and it will be worth it all because our citizenship is not one of Rome or of Greece or even of the United States our citizenship is eternal 
And that citizenship is found in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. So let that be the goal. Let that be the prize that you and I press toward as we seek to serve and to know and to become more like Christ today. So I hope this lesson has been helpful. I look forward to studying with you next time here on the Calvary Couples Podcast.